Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on today's episode, George heads back to university for Go Green Week to discuss how students are not only engaging, but in some cases leading the sustainable revolution. Uh, people have said, oh, if you don't have the support from your senior manager, you, you're nowhere, really. you're, you're starting on the back foot. I've always believed at that time that it can always be fed from the bottom up. Plus, we bring you expert views from the likes of Marks & Spencer, Compass Group and Landsec at the Energy Managers Forum and the Smarter Sustainability Reporting Conference. We understand how we can use battery storage for our own resilience mm. and mitigating some of our existing costs. Mm-hmm. And what we don't really have visibility of is what the external incentives are. So hello and welcome back people. ED's senior reporter Matt Mace here, back with another Sustainable Business Covered podcast episode. Hopefully we've all survived not one but two beasts from the East since you last heard from me at the Museum of Brands. And today I'm joined by ED's Insight Editor, George Ogilby, to bring you more stories from the world of business sustainability. Uh, So George, um, how are you? What have you been up to? And are you surviving the cold? Um... No, I'm not. I'm in a really bad place at the moment. I feel like every time we come into the studio, we're moaning about the weather, but I feel like it's particularly bad this time. And like, there just seems to be no proper insulation in this particular room. It feels more like an igloo. It, it is a, a very cold room, which is quite ironic because behind you is just this, like, I, I suppose it's meant to be like a, a colour board of just sparks and, and it looks really warm. And the heat is on as well, but yeah, everything's just... Escaping outside, so you know sustainability one hundred and one. Mm. We are we are already struggling from um, the the get go. Um, but while it's been cold, we've been keeping ourselves busy. Um, what have you been been up to recently? I mean, it's been it's been pretty hectic, hasn't it? It has been. Uh, yeah, hectic's one word, but also quite uh, enjoyable. We've been uh, out of the office quite a lot, both mm-hmm. me, you, and Luke. Uh, Luke does still exist. Yeah, before, still, still not here. The, the chair is <laughs> the chair's still empty. Still waiting his return. Um, so, uh, where, what have I been up to? Um, quite recently, I went on a tour of uh, university. Going back, remembering my older university days. It was nice to walk along a campus uh, sober for once. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. I went to the University of Sussex to um, see a recent installation of um, a solar panel, um, which is actually the largest solar installation in the higher education sector. So I was taken on a tour of the University of Sussex um, by the energy manager there, Matthew Arnold. Um, so the solar installation is just on on the edge of the picturesque South Downs. So it's beautiful scenery. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's really really good. Um, so as I said, I was taken on a tour and to coincide with uh, Go Green Week, which mm-hmm. is um, a campaign in the university sector to try and you know boost sustainable um, credentials of the um, employees there and also the students. Um, and during that week, uh, University of Sussex put on uh, a variety of projects from beach cleaning, litter pickups in the parks, and also tours of this um, solar panel installation. Uh, and this is part of their pledge to be one of the most sustainable universities 
in the UK and you'll hear a lot of the wonderful stuff that they're getting up to. But um, after the tour of the solar installation, which was um, on a, a, another snowy day. Oh, um, brilliant. <laughs> as, as irony would have it. Um, I sat down with Matthew and also Thaddeus Dell from SAS Energy, the company that had um, installed the uh, solar unit. Okay. Um, and yeah, just talked about a, a variety of subjects, um, how the on-site solution is helping um, that build their resilience, uh, and also looking at the aspects from the student side, what, how they can get involved in um, sustainability um, at the university, and not only get involved but also lead um you know we always talk about the younger generations Definitely. and how they can um, step up and how they are indeed stepping up in the sustainability sphere so yeah um it was a really good chat and i hope that our uh, listeners enjoy it well i mean let's let's jump straight into it here is that interview in full okay so uh matthew thanks for that tour it's a very insightful um hour so thanks very much for that we've just been taken on a whistle stop tour of uh, the largest solar installation in higher education sector um 3000 photovoltaics fitted on uh, 29 buildings um and providing almost five percent of the farmer campus's electricity needs so perhaps you could start matthew just uh, talk me through this process of the of the development um why the decision was taken to uh, launched the project and and who's really been spearheading it? Well, thank you for uh, joining us on the on the great tour today. Um, right, uh, it, that's a it's a very good big question uh, with quite a very big answer, which I'll try and keep as succinct as I possibly can. Um, from the early stages of solar panel and solar panels on roofs, it's been my kind of goal to want to be a part of a project wherever I worked to to have solar installed. Uh, I used to work in council. Um, uh, local council and there was a lot of work that, that went into unfortunately uh, projects that never quite got off the ground uh, when I joined when I joined the university uh, I felt that the way the feeding tariffs were going the way that uh, the university was looking and, and how they were starting to to get more uh, interested in, in the greener technology and and very being very supportive of, of all projects uh, that I'd worked on today felt that this was a good opportunity to, uh, to, to get things off the ground. Um, I, uh, with, the, with the assistance of Solar Advanced Systems, um, we, we work collaboratively um, in the early stages with, with no clear end, uh, no, no, no clear budget. Um, we, we put all the groundwork in uh, collectively. We, uh, we, I, I felt that I wanted to be in a position with a shovel-ready project for the university so that they couldn't say no. To. Um, so we worked on the planning, so the uh, to make sure that the roofs, um, well, there were no issues in terms of sight lines and and listings of buildings and and, and what have you. We we looked at the roof structures and and uh, the, the, the the building fabric itself to make sure that the roofs that we wanted to put on were, were suitable. We wanted to make sure that they were going to last, uh, hopefully as long as they possibly can, because there's there's a constant development with the universities. Development, knocking down of buildings, redevelopment. So, so we had that at the back of our minds, and also um, approval from the infrastructure, from the grid, which we sought. So we we got all of that lined up, uh, and that was something that took a lot of time, um, and it kind of culminated in a meeting with the vice chancellor and, and heads of academia, um, 
because at that point some academia were questioning a carbon reduction uh, a carbon reduction levels um, and, and how we were performing and at that meeting we were able to say right okay we hear what you're saying um, some of that data might be a little bit old um, so there were good things happening and on the horizon we were able to present the solar panel project light LED project BEMS projects uh, metering project uh, and others in the future and presented that to the vice chancellor and we presented that in the in the march uh, of 2017 in the may um well the vice chancellor before i carry on said make this happen i want you to meet you tomorrow and get this get this going uh in the uh, in the may uh we started and it completed in the september mm. um and yeah it, it all of the work that went in behind all of that made up, I'd say probably, it feels like for me, about 70% of the work. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where we are today. Excellent. Um, yeah, you, you touched upon it there. You received backing from the uh, University Vice-Chancellor, who I think you mentioned on the tour has actually got solar panels uh, installed upon top of his building, is that correct? On top of Sussex House, yes. Yeah, that's right. And um, so, I mean, I've been listening to speaking and it seems like he, it's good to have this you know, real backing from the top because I've, I've seen he, uh, the vice chancellor set his sights on the institution becoming one of the most energy efficient universities within the next 10 years so that must be very encouraging for you uh, as, a, as an energy manager to hear uh, that you have that su support right from the very top. Yes uh, you cannot you cannot um, get any better I'll be perfectly honest um, in, in previous in my previous lives uh, previous jobs, uh, people have said, "Oh, if you don't have the support from your senior manager, you, you're nowhere really, or you, you're starting on the back foot." I've always believed at that time that it can always be fed from the bottom up. I still believe that that a lot of uh, movement and change can happen from the bottom up. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the top. And I did always, always used to think that that was an excuse that if you didn't have the person on the top on your side, then things wouldn't happen. As I, as I kind of briefly touched on. Now that I've got someone on our side, um, it just helps. It just makes life that bit easier. Um, they know what the right thing to do is. You don't have to explain it to them. You're not teaching them to suck it. You're also not teaching them to suck eggs. And you're not trying to push against the closed door of whatever whatever reason that might be. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. I, I hope Adam Tickell doesn't leave um, mm. and go anywhere else. <laughs> And um, just looking at it from like the other side of the coin, um, it was great to see you know, so many students participate in, in that tour. Maybe the, the weather had something to do with it. It wasn't raining, thankfully, so <laughs> that was good. Um, but yeah, you've got you had that engagement there with the um, with the students. So is is that an important aspect for you to build that awareness among students? Well, without doubt, without doubt. I mean, as I said in the tour, um, the solar panels are creating to about five percent of our energy usage. Our students um, and staff, who are also going to be joining us on the tour, um, equate to somewhere between five to ten percent of our of our usage. Um, so yeah, it, it, we need to bring them along with us. We need to kind of uh, sorry. Yeah, I think the um, bringing them along with you uh, is is a key part. And the the Matthew and I, um, when we were developing the project, always our intention to bring through the monitoring and data element. 
that, that the solar panel um, project can can bring. So that it's not only just a very visible sign of the of the university's commitment, but it's also um, one that can be communicated in corridors on monitor screens um, to further um, really get action taken um, at the. Uh, at the, at, the, at the student level, at the individual level, uh, and, and, and saying, you know, this is what the university is doing. Now you can do your bit with, you know, various top tips, etc. But the the data that's coming through will be be interesting to see how um, how the university will use that solar data in in um, uh, on, from academia, but also um, as a way of student engagement. And uh, on that point of um, student engagement, it's um, obviously a pertinent time because it's this um, Go Green Week. <coughs> um, maybe it'd be better coming from uh, you, Matthew, explaining exactly what uh, this National Go Green Week is and uh, how the University of Sussex is uh, marking the occasion. Uh, yes, Go Green Week has, um, is a, a National Union of Students in US-backed uh, weekly event. Um, historically, it's taken the the view of divestment and uh, and other kind of almost near I say political or financially driven or investment driven um, um, I suppose needs not ideals but needs um, and historically um, the student union have done little bits here and there uh, as has SEF historically. Um, Given the university's drive and Adam Tickell's uh, promotion of the university going greener, uh, this year we felt we needed to give it a, give it the kind of push that it needs uh, and the, the focus and, and attention. So um, this year we are planting um, a total of 125 trees, starting off with 20 this week, and, and continuing a program of tree planting for the rest of the might say for the rest of the academic year. Um, We've started the, um, the the building of a sensory garden, which will be uh, a focal point for our families on campus. We have 60 families, and uh, the intention is is to teach the the children that are living on campus uh, the, the benefits of planting and students the benefits of planting um, flowers and and, and, and and fruit trees. Um, and we're doing litter picks. We're doing uh, a wellness walk around the boundary. Uh, we're doing a pedometer challenge. Um, the list uh, we're, we're promoting uh, reuse of furniture. We have a, a, a warp. We use a warpit, which is a, an online uh, reuse um, web page uh, where you put unused furniture on there, and then that furniture can be reused around the campus. So today, in fact, uh, we're doing a kind of an open shop of one of our uh, spaces on campus for students to go along and pick up chairs, desks, um, desk. Um, drawers, cabinets, um, uh, to, and we're going to be promoting that element, um, and yeah, and that, uh, we've got loads of other things going on, which unfortunately I can't remember all of them, but I want this Go Green Week to be the springboard to basically continue doing good things. It's not just for this week, um, as I say, the tree planting will carry on going, the, the flower planting, we've only just started the Century Garden, the litter pick, we are doing that once a month from now. Um, as a senior leadership team of CEF and a senior management team of CEF. Um, and um, we do do give it a day of your time, uh, which is something that we're allowed as a company to, to spend the day 
in the local community, like Stanmore Park, where we'll be doing litter pick, and um, just giving that bit back to our local community. Excellent, and yeah, I mean, it's it's great that you've touched upon point. We've got this week, which heightens the focus, but it's about that long-term impact, isn't it? Ensuring that these activities are sustained, not just in the week, but well, forever in the future. Yes, indeed. Um, I think it's. I wouldn't say it's easily done, but you you can do you can do activities that are just for today, uh, and will never be repeated. And the solar panel tour again is another example. I've got schools that have contacted me. Uh, and I've got dates in the diary ready for, for the next tours and students wanting to, to piggyback onto that as well because they missed out on this one. And I've had students from other universities that are doing the dissertations that have contacted me that I've unfortunately had to turn down uh, because I was focused on our university, but I'll, I'll have that open um, for basically everyone and anyone really, um, as long as obviously it's within a um, uh, reasonable mm. time. Yeah, I've been approached by a business business group as well, um, a sort of sustainable business network, um, who are very keen to to do the tour as as well. So it's it's certainly providing um, a beacon of of, of best practice um, for uh, for people to learn, and and that's you know that's that's so good to see when when we're doing so many other different projects. Um, um, for uh, for a project like this to uh, to inspire and inspire other actions and be a springboard and catalyst. Yeah, the the higher education sector has really uh, ramped up its efforts. You know, in uh, in terms of driving this low carbon transition in recent times, we've had in the past four we, uh, four nights alone, we've seen the University of Winchester, University of Bournemouth roll out behaviour change. Um, programs among staff while several other Russell Group universities have pledged to uh, divest from fossil fuels. Uh, a lot of these decisions were taken after big student campaigns. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on how big a driving force the, um, the student voice can be uh, informing the university's um, sustainability agenda and how important the role can be ensuring that efforts like the one we've seen at the University of Sussex uh, can be produced at universities up and down the country. The student body um, has so much power um, and I'm not saying that lightly either. Um, when I was at university um, there may have been power there possibly. Um, I didn't have to pay for my education. I was quite fortunate in that sense that um, that yeah it was I was supported we're now in a very very different environment um, student experience is I wouldn't say it's um, it, it's it's one of our focal points the student experience is what what decides certain decisions that are made key decisions that are made how does it how would this impact on our students experience because ultimately it's co it, it, it costs them you know you have to pay you have tuition fees that you have to pay and if, if the student experience isn't good here, the student will vote with their, with their feet. Um, and I, I don't like saying it, but because of that, it does start to make universities more of a business and less of an educational facility, which it is. But we have to be mindful who our customer is. It, looking at it from a, from a business perspective, who is the customer and, and, and how can we retain them? So the student has got more power than I think ever before. Um, and the students here um, uh, protested 
um, about um, divesting from fossil fuel. That's now happened um, at the University of Sussex. Um, I believe that they could go further um, with other activities. I know that there, there are other things that they want to, to make sure happen. Um, and yeah, there is a lot of power now within our student body. And if, if it's something that you desperately feel passionate about, then I would advise all students to, to, to stand up together uh, peacefully and, and, and make their voices heard, because it, they will be heard, because yeah, it's the, the nature of education at the moment. Mm. So finally, um, looking at um, the University of Sussex's Go Greener project, which aims to halve carbon emissions in the next three years, um, other than the solar installations which we've um, seen today, uh, what are the technologies and solutions? I think you've touched upon them uh, earlier in our conversation. Well, what are the solutions will be in implemented to help the university in its ambition uh, to become one of the greenest universities in the world? Um, well, um, I think I may have touched on the fact that we are installing submetering, smart submetering across the campus. We've already started that project, <clears throat> and I'd say we're probably about 70-80% through that. Uh, this will allow us to get granular data, if I can say, granular data uh, at building level. So we can record the uh, every 30 minutes the water, the heat, the gas, <clears throat> and the electricity at each building. This will allow us to, to raise the, the profile of that building's particular usage, and the, the building users within it can see how well they're performing or not. Um, so that's a project that's already moving. Um, we have a BMS, or uh, BEMS, Building Energy Management System, um, uh, try, uh, being installed as we speak, uh, as of today, uh, in uh, Sussex House, uh, with the intentions of rolling it across campus. We intend to have uh, LED lighting in Stanmer Court, which are three residency, halls of residency blocks, and Lewis Court, which is four residency blocks, um, starting in August. Um, and um, we are also looking at collecting food waste with the intentions of the potential for an anaerobic food digester and which will generate uh, methane, burn it for electricity or heat um, and variable speed drives, insulation on, on pipe work, um, all the kind of, I'll be honest with you, all the good stuff um, but maybe not as, uh, as exciting perhaps as solar panels. But, there's, there's a whole load of works that we've got to do within between now and then. Uh, we're developing an awareness campaign as well across all halls of residence um, with the Student Energy Project, um, which incentivizes students to, to make savings, and they will make uh, incentivize savings on their cards. And um, we are growing the staff uh, academic awareness campaign, uh, which is um, Green Impact, which is supported by the National Union of Students. Excellent. Uh, well, we look forward to seeing how this sustainability journey progresses over the next three years and um, good luck for that and um, more immediately for this Go Green Week. Um, so thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Um, the, um, the academic uh, institutions really seem to be taking the lead on, on certain um, energy innovations. I mean, on-site amongst university seems to be really taken off aside from all the divestment um, pledges we've had over recent months but but they're they're really trialing um, energy storage stuff as well which is great to see I mean I suppose it's it's a testament to the research and development um, facilities they have at their disposal and a lot of businesses are willing to come work with them which is which is great um, and by now I'm sure our listeners 
think they know the formula. We, uh, we're meant to be going into our second batch of interviews, then we finish up with some news and some innovations, and we go on our way. Um, but we're, we're deviating from the path this week, mainly because a lot has happened uh, since the last episode. Um, so, unfortunately, there is no news or innovation roundup this week. Yeah, I was I was expecting a few a few moans and cries, so thank you for that. Um, but it does mean that following this, we have uh, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five interviews on the way. Firstly, I was back in London and matching the theme of this podcast, just as the beast from the East had hit, the, the first one, in fact. Um, it just made its presence felt. I was at ED's Smarter Sustainability Reporting Conference, which, considering the weather and the travel issues, went down without a hitch, actually. Um, we heard from the likes of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, Barclays, GRI, Canon, and Virgin Media, who, of course, are very good at the reporting with the, with the gifts now. Um, they all provided insight and examples into the current state of reporting, including a very interesting debate on whether or not it was time to kill off the standalone sustainability report. And much like all EDU conferences, there are breakout sessions, um, which is a time where where I get a chance to to speak to a few of the speakers if they if they're willing. And um, at this event, I managed to grab uh, some time with uh, Nikki Crayford, who is the director of health, safety, and environment at Compass Group. Uh, now, for those who don't know Compass, it is the UK's largest food service company across fifteen thousand locations in the UK, and it also became the first major food. Um, service company to join the Sustainable Seafood Coalition. Um, so we are about to hear from Nikki all about, I suppose, the uh, the barriers, the challenges when putting together a report. And then following that, I um, also managed to grab a brief chat with the chair of the event, Elaine Cohen, who is the managing director at Beyond Business. Um, Elaine is a real fountain of knowledge um, and opinions for all things reporting. I don't think I've ever spoke to someone who has such a, a passion um, and, and such a knowledge for such a, um, a niche subject like reporting. Mm. And um, the chat with her focus on ensuring that this is a, a sustainability reporting conference rather than a single sustainability report. It's a real emphasis on, on communications and making sure that you don't just make a report and, and put it to one side and let it collect dust. Um, so I hope you enjoy these two chats and here they are now in full. So um, I've survived the snow and I've managed to get to London this morning for the Smarter Sustainability Reporting Conference. Um, I say I survived the snow, uh, snow. we're actually lunch now and, and the snow's just hit London so um, <laughs> so whether or not that, that lasts but I, I may be stuck in uh, the Cavendish Conference Centre for quite a while <laughs> but as it's lunch I've managed to grab one of the speakers from the morning session, which is uh, Nikki Crayford, the Director of Health, Safety and Environment at Compass Group. Nikki, uh, thank you for letting me interrupt your lunch, first no and problem. foremost. <laughs> um, and you're in the morning session, um, a, a quite a big morning session, that the panel was spread out right across the table with like six or seven people, which was good to see. Um, you had delegates from the World Building Council, Sustainable Development, um, IRC. Barclays, Capgemini, GRI, and it was a really good conversation into this very complex reporting landscape, a load of frameworks um, that you can use to help shape a sustainability report, a load of, I suppose, global trends to consider. Um, and as someone who um, has, has been tasked, I suppose, with delivering a sustainability strategy for, for Compass Group, how 
how do you navigate such a complex um i suppose it is like a minefield occasionally as well or a labyrinth is probably a better mm. better terminology how, how do you how do you steer your company to a way that gives your stakeholders the best information that they need to know mm. yeah good question um i think for me it's about uh, remaining relevant so um as you say there's a there's a huge amount of um an increasingly kind of complex landscape mm. to navigate around and um, you have to really get back to the core of what's important for your business and to some degree try and ignore all of those different parties Definitely. vying for some of your um, attention and reporting so I think getting back to square one and thinking about what's important for your business um, then thinking about what's important for your stakeholders and then really looking at all of those different um, frameworks and benchmarks, and I think we talked about it this morning, is picking the elements that resonate to you for your business. Mm. And I would challenge anyone to find one framework that works for one business. I, I don't think that's possible, not, not in my opinion anyway. Mm. Um, I think we find merit in selecting um, elements of frameworks, uh, some of the investor indices are very useful as well, DJSI, CDP, mm. in helping you shape your reporting and making sure that it's um, proportionate and, and um, I guess, um, appropriate to those external stakeholders that want to know about your, your business. But um, yeah, it, you're right, it's a complex landscape. <laughs> it's a full-time job navigating <laughs> yeah. it. Definitely, and, and for, for our listeners who perhaps Compass Group ring, rings a bell to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're undoubtedly a company they would have interacted with probably at some point. Um, obviously, a very big global food catering company. So, so what? Um, in terms of materiality, um, what are the aspects of a CSR or sustainability report that, that matters most to to your stakeholders? Yeah. So, um, as you say, Compass um, is often that invisible company <laughs> uh, that people don't know the name Compass, but they certainly would know one of our operating mm. brands. So. We are um, now spread across around about 49 countries. We employ uh, something north of 550,000 people globally okay. um, and literally serve millions of consumers mm -hmm. food every day. So as a result, food is a major um, impact for us mm -hmm. um, and one where we believe we can make a positive impact. So it's about food and the supply chain. That's one element. Um, it's about food as a um, um, as a opportunity towards health and well-being um, of our consumers um, and also our own employees. So, in terms of um, impacts and materiality on our business, uh, supply chain and the provenance and um, responsible sourcing uh, linked to that is key. Um, we have people because it's the other part of our business model. Yeah. Um, we don't have many assets in Compass, but we do have people, uh, which are you know arguably our biggest asset. Mm. So um, our policies and standards around how we employ people, um, their time with Compass, career progression, all mm. of those good things um, are definitely uh, of interest to our stakeholders. Um, uh, health and well-being I touched on is a, is a kind of a key focus and then you've got this sort of I guess sort of fairly generic bucket of environmental reporting performance and within that we select um, impacts that are important to us so food waste would be mm. an obvious one Definitely. Um, so <clears throat> yeah so I think in terms of materiality 
there are many different issues that affect our business but those are the ones where we choose to focus where we believe we can make the biggest um, positive kind of social impact and I think that's the key isn't it is it's choosing the, the big battles that you know you can make the biggest contributions in. yeah and you mentioned people is, is such a big part of, of the com- company as well are you finding that the the staff that you work with are they now key stakeholders is is a report that something you engage with them, with them and, and do they have a, a real interest in these type of issues yeah I think Um, I've seen a real um, increase in the level of knowledge for one, um, passion uh, coming from uh, particularly younger employees, new into the business, new into the workforce at at all different levels um, and actually increasingly across different geographies. I think it used to be kind of a bit of a European thing, a bit of a North American thing, but now you see um, a lot more employee engagement and interest coming from all around the world. Um, and I think, have we been successful at engaging with uh, our own employee base on sustainability? I think we're getting there, but there's a lot more to do. I I think the sheer scale of trying to communicate uh, and reach those individuals (laughs) when you've got over half a million people is, is, is quite a challenge. Um, and I'm not sure that our CR report at the moment, which is very much focused towards our external stakeholders, clients, yeah. investors, would be you know your, your ideal kind of bedtime reading for an employee. Definitely. So we're looking at ways to um, distill those key messages down to something that would resonate mm. um, with individuals. Um, I mean, just one small example, but I see it with our buying community. You know, they, let's say there's a buyer of, um, I know, meat and dairy. You know, they genuinely are really interested more and more in um, the farm animal welfare, some of these other topics okay. that historically, if I'm honest, buyers would not yeah. have been kind of preoccupied with. So I think that's a really um, sort of strong development in our sector is that the people you know buying the food mm. have a have a real personal passion in making sure that that food is as sustainable as it can be and it's, it's probably not just the the buyers i think just a, at a consumer level or, or just a global level the the amount of knowledge on business and sustainability is, is probably at an all-time high plastics is obviously the, the big thing at the moment and i think consumers are probably helps they've got more disposable income than in the past as well, but they they can pick and choose brands, not just based on price anymore, yeah. but based on, on sustainability. And I think there may have been, not a temptation, but maybe just a, a resignation for some businesses in the past that sustainability reporting in particular would be just a tick box exercise, something that we need to get this signed off, we need to get the data in and just put it out there and tick that off and then we can concentrate on driving change. But as we discussed this morning with the likes of the SDGs, the, uh, the, the task force on climate related financial disclosure, this is now becoming a, a, a kind of an integral business matter, um, which must be great as a sustainability professional, but also quite, quite daunting because all of a sudden this is, this is something that um, all your business partners are probably coming up to with and say what we're doing at X, Y and Z. How, how is internally the the conversation changed as as these, or, or how do you envision it changing if it hasn't yet, now that these kind of metrics are becoming much more 
focus within the business. Hmm. I think it's actually really helpful in terms of moving the the dialogue hmm. on. Um, you know, a good example for us is SDGs. Hmm. We started looking at them about eighteen months ago and thought, oh, these are nice, but not quite sure. Yeah. And then, you know, month on month, we've started talking to some of our strategic clients, um, and they're doing the same. So suddenly, you've got this common language, a bit of a common platform, two different business sectors, but or you come from two different sectors, but you as I say, increasingly have this kind of commonality mm. to, to talk through and to potentially agree some um, common areas of focus. So that's re- worked really well for us. Um, I think the dialogue internally, as ever in a large organisation, you know, for as many people are kind of starting to get sustainability and are really quite... Um, uh, passionate about moving it forward, you get the other people who you know are still some way along the Definitely, the journey. Yeah. So um, I, I think you know in an organisation you have to come through a bit of a maturity curve. You know you need the compliance push initially to drive the business. Mm. I think there are not many businesses who would just you know decide to do all of this reporting <laughs> yeah. um, uh, just for the you know because they want to mm. so I think you do need that push yeah. initially but then from that do you realize that you can make efficiencies in the business you can really underpin your um, corporate strategy to be a more sustainable business if you get some of these other areas um, you know, reported, in focus, and, and I guess have more visibility around them. So I think that's key to, to focus the minds of those that are perhaps a little more cynical. Definitely. And just before um, I, I let you go, I realise that the, the afternoon session is about to start, but um, you mentioned uh, just before you started your session that you used to, used to kind of work in marketing. <laughs> so I imagine um, for a sustainability professional that comes quite handy in terms of perhaps framing those conversations. So, so is there anything you've learned from, from your experience in marketing that you've been able to take into the sustainability agenda? Because sometimes, you know, it can be a lonely place for a sustainability professional in, in a business to be able to get that message across. Yeah, no, I, I think it has stood me in good, uh, good stead. Um, I think two things it's probably helped me with. One, I'm much more, I view sustainability with a lens of creating value rather than always being risk management. Uh, and I think that's kind of quite a shift for, for some perhaps more um, technical sustainability uh, professionals. Um, and I think the second thing for me is you have to sell your message. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's all about the narrative. And if you don't think of that compelling um, narrative for people, whether they be internal or external, you're, you're probably going to really struggle to get traction. Um, so putting yourself in someone else's shoes a bit of empathy and a lot of passion. I think that's what uh, that's what the answer is. Brilliant, good to hear. It's always nice to end on a, a bit of advice. <laughs> so, um, Nikki, I realise the temperature in this room seems to be dropping by the second, so the snow's definitely here. So um, I'll let you grab a coffee and enjoy the afternoon session, but thank you. Thank you, nice to meet you. Okay, so we're well into the afternoon now. Um, the temperature is dropping again and again. I don't know why I keep taking speakers into the coldest room in the conference, but it is also the quietest one. Um, and joining me right now is actually the conference chair, for the uh, Smarter Sustainability Reporting Conference, Elaine Cohen, um, Managing Director uh, from Beyond Business. Um, those who are regular on ED's website will undoubtedly have read some of Elaine's insights um, on reporting in the past, but I suppose for, for some of the listeners who perhaps aren't, aren't aware of what Beyond Business is about and, and what you know you uh, what you do and, and how you identify as a reporting uh, nerd, I believe the terminology was this morning. Perhaps geek, geek. Yeah, geek, okay. Perhaps, um, 
give, give them a little bit of insight as, as to what Beyond uh, Business does? Um, well, we're just a small firm at Beyond Business. We help companies with sustainability strategy, you know, how to navigate this massive amorphous landscape to find mm. what's really important and strategic for your business and how to turn that into an action plan. So on the one hand, we help with strategy, but most of our work is about helping companies with reporting and the report. So we help them, we take them through the reporting process, without, whether that includes um, materiality assessments, sustainability, uh, stakeholder engagement, um, gathering all of the relevant content, deciding on what sort of uh, report to, to prepare, um, guiding them through and helping collect all of the relevant content and then putting the report together for them uh, to approve and subsequently publish and we also help with the engagement aspects of the report um, internally and externally. So we live reporting and um, uh, whilst we recognise that there are the, the reporting landscape is, is changing and there's lots of different and sometimes even controversial views uh, about reporting, we think that it's a, a really valuable tool for business, it's a necessary piece of uh, transparency and disclosure for all stakeholders and an, it's an empowering um, process in any business. Yeah, and um, you're, you're probably the ideal person to, to chair this event. You know, you've got such an extensive knowledge of, of what goes on and that also have insight on that practical ways to, to help companies. And this, this event so far has, has been, I, I think, really inspiring in that sense. We started this morning with this really great conversation about the changes to, I suppose, the traditional sustainability report. I think it was uh, Mario Abella from the World Business Council of Sustainable Development that said that there's this idea to make the traditional sustainability report disappear and it needs to become more integrated as sustainability become more integrated. And then on the complete other end of the um, spectrum, we've, we've just had a, a session where kind of Virgin Media have been showing how gifts have, have created the gift of, of, of this kind of everlasting engagement piece, um, which I know is something you've, you've kind of blogged on and, and, and given insight before, so that, that, that idea that it's not about the sustainability report, it's about the reporting, it's, it's this year-round data collection comms tool piece, which we'll touch on in a minute, but um, as, as someone who's, who's chaired all the events and, and one of the breakout sessions as well, are there any kind of key insights you've taken away from, from the event so far today? Yeah, but let, let me just first set the record straight. Um, you can't have reporting without a report, mm. and you can't have a report without reporting. So for all those folks who say the report is dead, mm -hmm. I completely uh, disagree and I don't think it's dead and I don't think it will be dead anytime soon. The reporting is, is in, the report itself is a, is a piece, is a document, whichever form, whether it's online or whether it's in a mm. PDF format or whether it's in, um, you know, written on parchment, it doesn't really matter. The f point is that there is an output to this process, which is a process of engagement, empowerment, accountability, management, uh, dialogue, and communication. So um, I think, for, you know, people are saying the report is dead. Uh, they've been saying that for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people who say, well, who reads reports? Well, they've been saying that for the last 20 years. But the fact is, reports are used and they will continue to be used. Now, what, what have we... But within that context, the, the dynamics are always changing, they're always yeah. evolving. Um, what's company, what people are expected to find in a report these days is changing from um, 
you know, what they might have expected 20 years ago. And the folks who are looking at and believing they can see some relevance in the report today um, or in the data that the report contains is also shifting a little bit. So this morning we heard a lot about uh, the investor perspective. Mm. And there's a lot of talk, more than we've ever heard, about how investors are taking an interest and really wanting to use the sustainability data. There's more and more talk, and you know you could you could say there's no smoke without fire, but we still have yet to see real proof that um, such disclosure is actually influencing um, investor decisions. Mm. Although we are finding that there's a general correlation between company valuations and improved sustainability practices and reporting. So I think we are starting to see that there's a sort of convergence of interest in sustainability reporting and of course there are there are more and more people who would put that actually inside the financial reporting and make it an integral part of that so we're hearing more about integrated reporting we heard this morning that the movement of integrated reporting hasn't taken off as people might have expected yeah that was a strange uh, one uh, which is not surprising really but um I think there's a long way to go before people really understand what integrated reporting is about and Hmm. how sustainability reporting can contribute to integrated reporting. I think we heard a lot more today uh, about regulation and how and and where um, reporting was always considered a nice to have and a voluntary thing. Hmm. I think more and more reporters are realising that there's a heck of a lot of legislation which typically um, covers the ground that once might have been voluntary. So uh, folks have talked about the uh, the Modern Slavery Act, for example, which uh, and another sort of um, human rights type of legislation and gender legislation and so on. And all of these things have been things that companies have, in the past, up to a point, voluntarily reported on. So we're going to see lots more uh, v- mandated type of stuff in the future. Yeah, I, I, I found it a, a really interesting discussion this morning. Uh, like the the terminology perhaps was, was a bit wrong with to disappear, but the way it, it's is not so much disappearing, it's evolving to this to this more um I suppose almost a, a higher profile. I mean, um we heard from investors today speaking about the need for uh, a sustainability strategy more so than a report to be driven from the board. Um yes. I'd be interested to see if we ever get to the day where one of these kind of events is just the CEOs coming along because they're now the people tasked with with creating that, that report and strategy. Um but as as sustainability becomes higher up the agenda um, and ideally, hopefully the people charged with putting the reports together get a bit more leverage throughout the company. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you give them to making sure um, to what you said earlier that it's not just a report but also a reporting yeah. process that can be used, leaned upon at any time throughout the year? Yeah, absolutely. Well, f- first of all, it must be business relevant. So it must, you, well, people have to consider sustainability as being the way a company does business, not a project that the company does in addition to doing business. So uh, the folks in charge of sustainability and reporting need to be sure that it's fully aligned with the business agenda, that the reporting objectives meet the business requirements. We heard an example just earlier on from from Katie Buchanan at uh, Virgin Media, and she was talking about expanding the reach of her reporting messages to get to folks who previously not Mm -hmm. engaged with it. And 
that led to direct engagement with more consumers. And of course, reaching more consumers, engaging more consumers, selling more stuff to consumers, of course, is an objective of, of Virgin Media's business. So the more that she can get that message out there and reach more people, gen generate their trust and involve them, then that serves a business objective. Fair. So I think, um, you know, be a part of the business, align your processes with existing business processes, and um, have talk about measurable impacts on uh, society that, that people can understand in language that they can understand. Don't always use all of this sustainability yeah, jargon. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, it was interesting you mentioned the Virgin bit because obviously I think the, the rise in sustainability amongst awareness amongst consumers, they're now becoming a kind of stakeholder that will perhaps want to cast a critical eye over yeah. stuff. Um, so that was great to hear. And on the topic of, of making it business relevant, um, we're just about to go into a session on, on materiality now, um, which is about to start. And as you're chairing that event, um, I will let you get on with it. Otherwise, I will be in a lot of trouble. But Elaine, uh, okay. thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure, Matt. Thank you very much. So, of course, um, I wasn't the only one out and about for the past few weeks. George, um, I believe you had a, a rather interesting trip to Birmingham recently that, that saw you kind of merge between the worlds of energy management and this ongoing great plastics debate. Wow, that wind has, has really picked up, hasn't it? It's like, um, it was like a storm is, is on the way. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, suppose, uh, I suppose that rather matches the, the, the frantic pace of your trip to Birmingham, really. Care to, care to tell our uh, listeners what, what you were doing up in Birmingham the other week? Yeah, so um, as you alluded to, I um, got a deep dive into the plastics debate uh, at the NEC. There was a, a really um, stellar cast, a packaging um, debate, with the big plastics debate between all the major retailers. Mm. So you had um, the likes of Co-op, M&S, um, Coca-Cola, and of course the, the big one, which is Iceland at the moment. Yeah, of course. Um, Who have made the pledge to um, phase out all their plastics on their own brand labels. Um, I believe you spoke to Ian Schofield from Iceland um, that, in the previous podcast. Yeah, um, he was he was at the Museum of Brands and um, he was a very refreshing person to speak to, very much willing to admit that their their lofty goal will lead to mistakes along the way, which is, which is what you want to hear. You don't want to hear a very corporate PR past mm. response about how... Um, Collaboration and innovation will help. You know, he 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 realizes the scope of the challenge and is being completely transparent about it, which mm. is refreshing. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and this was a point that he emphasized during uh, that debate. You know, there will be times where Iceland don't get everything right. Mm -hmm. Their customers might not like the packaging changes that are made. But he he put his hand up and said, you know, sometimes you need to make these risks in order to move forward. So it was really refreshing to hear that. Okay, so that was um, where I was in the afternoon. And there was a write-up that I uh, published on the website. Go check it out. The big plastics <laughs> debate. <laughs> Shameless little plug there. But there you go. And um, before that... I was in Birmingham Town Centre for the um, Energy Management Conference, which is hosted by ED. Um, didn't get off to the best of starts. Uh, uh, fate dealt a, a heavy blow, as, as we all know, the widely publicised beast from the east. Um, uh, and in fact, stopped our chair from going to the event. And uh, our own... Um, Content director Luke Nichols had to step in at the last minute. I'm sure he was absolutely thrilled with that as well. Yeah, the, the weather was, was quite 
disruptive. But yeah, I mean, it seemed quite fitting um, that we had uh, the Beast from the East disrupting everything because, as I said, it was an energy management conference and um, while the conference was going on, we had a energy resilience roundtable and with the first point we started on was how can you um, manage your resilience in times of extreme weather events. So, <laughs> Perfect timing, yeah. Um, before the, um, that roundtable, I caught up with a couple of the uh, participants, um, a few um, regulars uh, on our events, and we spoke to Maria Spiro, who's the Energy Efficiency Manager at m mm-hmm. um, Also caught up with Charles Sainsbury, Energy Manager at Landsec, um, which is a property developer. Uh, obviously, both those organisations got huge uh, portfolios. Yeah, definitely. And energy resilience is, is a, a major issue for them, and they've ob- obviously um, taken on the issue by um, various different initiatives. You know, they've got on-site renewables, demand response, mm-hmm. energy storage. You name it, they're they're looking into it. So it was it was good to catch up with those two. Uh, and then afterwards, I uh, spoke to James Cockett, um, who is the energy manager at Pets at Home, who was understandably delighted after having previously, I think it was a month b- before, picked up his energy manager of the year, yeah, exactly. the uh, ED leaders. Uh, he said he, he's got his uh, award in his desk, it's pride of place, <laughs> Very as, nice. as you would expect. Yeah, it's good to see it's not been used as a doorstop or anything. But I mean, that... Uh, that award was um, it was thoroughly deserved mm-hmm. after the, the Pets at Home recorded outstanding energy savings at its stores after uh, a game-changing LED project. Um, but we'll start off proceedings with Maria Spiro, uh, MS. Uh, I spoke to her um, about a couple of issues. I, I, I know that they were exploring energy storage when we spoke to them last during the uh, webinar. Yeah, that was it. Um, so we speak about that, other stuff, but I won't bore you with any more details. We'll get straight, straight into that chat with Maria Spiro. Okay, yeah. Um, three pioneers of the energy resilience movement, and here they are in full for you now. So, hi Maria. We've uh, just come out of a very insightful roundtable discussion on energy resilience. Um, did you have any key takeaways from that discussion? Um, I think energy resilience means something slightly different to everyone, mm. um, was my first takeaway from that session. Uh, it was interesting to hear how different people manage resilience or energy differently, so mm-hmm. it's quite an interesting session actually. Mm, definitely. Um, yeah, I, w- we've done a lot of work with m and um, you took part in our um, webinar a couple of months ago um, and we realised then that MLS is exploring various uh, different routes, sort of uh, like energy storage. Uh, you know, you said you were looking at the feasibility of energy storage. I was wondering, now a couple of months later, how far realistically are MLS from having you know energy storage installed and running on on the estate? Um, we're still exploring, so mm-hmm. we're still in a feasibility stage, and that's mainly because um, National Grid haven't made up their mind as to what they want to do with um, with frequency response. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the main reason, as such, we're still in feasibility stage. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the the paybacks weren't looking as good as we thought they would look. Um, so we are. I'm going to say behind what we thought we were going to be at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still looking to have a system installed um, by the end of our financial year, which is in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure how possible that is. It might be might be 18 months away rather than 12. Okay. So I suppose for you it's a case of 
requiring sometimes the external support. You said national grid, you need that that certainty to be able to help you. On the yeah, journey. is it different? The different incentives as such um, are not very clear. I mean, we understand how we can use battery storage for our own resilience mm. and mitigating some of our existing costs. Mm-hmm. And what we don't really have visibility of is what the external incentives are and how we could use um, a solution like battery storage for other incentives. Mm -hmm. Aside from battery storage, what else do you see as maybe like the next big thing? Are there any technology solutions out there that you think can help to improve Marks and Spencer's uh, energy management um, progress? Um, so what we are, we're looking at, you know, as, as everyone usually says, we've done the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, we we are still looking at LED lighting, so we haven't actually done 100% of the estates in LED lighting. So that's something that we're doing or we're continuing that rollout. Um, we're now focusing more on control systems. So we we understand how our, our stores and our systems operate. Um, what we're finding is that we've got some old controllers in the estate and um, some pieces of equipment that we're not we could be controlling more efficiently Mm -hmm. so we are um, spending some time and effort in understanding that better Mm -hmm. and actually improving um, the controls in our estate so Mm -hmm. I think the next 12 months for us would our focus on that Mm. Um, understanding what we've got and manage it better Mm. Uh, a, a key part of that roundtable discussion was quite interesting to hear you talk about the role of behaviour change with customers. You mentioned that point about you know uh, the refrigeration and and in the UK we seem to be re- um, door reverse, having a door. Why do, why don't we have doors to you know keep the keep the air in? Um, what kind of things are you looking at now to uh, drive that behaviour change with your customers? Um, we're not. We're not really looking at um, effective behaviour change of our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are trying to give them stores that are more efficient, mm-hmm. um, rather than telling them what to do as such. Mm-hmm. Um, it is part of our wider um, engagement, the wider sustainability um, plan to help our customers. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so it's part of our wider sustainability strategy to help our customers consume less or mm-hmm. become more efficient themselves, but we're not you know, looking to educate, educate the massage. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to refrigeration specifically, um, it is something that we are looking at, but we're not very keen as such just yet to install doors on our refrigeration systems. We feel that our customers, especially say our older customers will find it as a barrier to sales because they will not only most of our MS shops are shopped with a basket rather than a trolley mm-hmm. so you'll need to be able to balance your basket as well as open a door and then pick the product which will make it very difficult for some of our customers to shop our stores mm-hmm. um, so we're looking at other technologies that will um, make our refrigeration systems more efficient instead of Okay, and uh, we are imminently about to start the afternoon (laughs) session of uh, the Energy Management Conference um, where the attendees are filing in now as we speak. Uh, Without giving too much away, you are speaking this afternoon. Can we get a a bit of a flavour for what it is that you're going to be talking about? Um, I'm talking about demand side response and how how I see that affecting the role of the energy manager. And just just high level, I would say that... um, is making me personally think more about energy costs mm-hmm. and how time of day tariffs, for example, or how commodity and not commodity costs work. 
uh, before it was all kept separately. You know, someone else was buying energy, I was just managing um, the use of it, whilst now we all have to think a bit more holistically. Um, so that, yeah, keen sight for my speech later. Excellent. We are uh, very much looking forward to hearing it. I'll uh, now let you get off, Maria. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you time where the beast from the east is wreaking havoc on uh, things outside you know energy resilience and cl- extreme weather events get the two go hand in hand um, anyway I'm sat with uh, Charles now um, what I don't know if you had any key takeaway points from that from that roundtable discussion yeah really interesting to speak to other big energy users as well understand some of the, the difficulties and hurdles and barriers into getting investment not only into energy efficiency but also energy security demand side response initiatives things like that um, and a key theme I think for us was was having confidence from, from policymakers and, and government as well in terms of where certain schemes are going mm. particularly DSR so we, we I think we all agreed if we could get some more certainty which has always been the case in the climate and energy agenda can we get some certainty over targets and policy direction mm. so big companies um, UK PLC can actually you know confidently invest in some of these technologies and some initiatives. Mm. Um, and then the other quite interesting thing is around climate change, which came out as well. Really important that actually, you know, energy security, energy resilience is just as much around uh, climate resilience as well. We all know we, we're subject to more future extreme weather events as well. And, and one thing we say at Lantec is that actually, whether it be any energy security or climate change security, that making sure everything we do um, is maximising the efficiency of our buildings because our buildings need to operate efficiently in energy reduction. Mm. They need to be able to respond to extreme temperatures mm. and we need to make sure that we can run our buildings for our customers who we need to keep happy obviously at all times mm. with confidence and that we're maintaining comfort conditions and running our estate efficiently. So it all feeds in, you know, whether it's energy security or energy efficiency, it's all mm-hmm. part of basically taking the stress off the grid and also moving to a decarbonised grid, which we're supporting as well, not through active energy management, but also our procurement as well. So mm-hmm. those, those are some of the things I'll be picking up on this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously Lantex just set um, ambitious science-based targets. Mm-hmm. How important is it to set, you know, those long-term goals and have that, strategy in place to ensure energy resilience in business? Really important. Um, property and you know, a lot of businesses are notorious for having a relatively short term view, three, four, five years. Mm. But for us, actually setting long-term targets, long term targets, excuse me, has been critical in getting some commitment, getting some inertia, and actually helping the case for investment. You know, a long-term target, probably energy reduction, active energy management is mm. our biggest tool meeting our carbon reduction targets mm-hmm. therefore what we're saying for the business is look guys we're going to meet these targets we need some investment and we need some commitment across all the different departments in the business different skill sets as well finance increasingly can we start looking at green finance which is something we're looking at the moment mm-hmm. uh, looking at the way we design our buildings as well for our sustainable design and, and development strategies making sure we're always thinking ahead and also thinking about where the next sort of key technologies lie, which mm. is possibly the electrification of heat mm-hmm. and battery storage as well. And it also on our, our retail portfolio, thinking some of the, the unique challenges around supporting electric vehicles, putting in charging points, which might actually increase our energy consumption as well. So how do we handle that? And thinking about you know carbon reporting going forward, where you know it's going to be part of mandatory accounts, and we're going to be forced to disclose energy efficiency measures. Mm-hmm. What are the incentives for key business, which is, is something that came out this morning as well, 
our own centres, maybe we get some tax relief to invest heavily in these technologies. So it's a fascinating time and there's, there's lots going on. Mm, there, there, there certainly is. I'm wary of time and I know we're about to start this afternoon session of the uh, Energy Management Conference now. Um, the next few hours, what are you looking forward to? I know that you've, uh, you've got your own yeah, session yeah, there. Hear, hearing myself speak. <laughs> no, just to get some good perspectives. and. Um, DSR, you know, it doesn't go away, but it still doesn't seem to be this inertia or commitment. The uncertainties around payments, you know, release triad costs coming down. Be interested to hear from the guys at Enenoc as to see how they, they think you can still stack up, which I think is important. You know, supply supply margins look good, but I still think we need to look at it. So yeah, be interesting. Okay, thanks, Charles. Thanks very much for the time. So I'm joining me, uh, James Cockett, on the um, sidelines of the Energy Management Conference. Um, good to see you, James. I think last time I saw you were just uh, coming off stage from the ED Leaders Awards, having collected your uh, Energy Management of the Year um, award. How did, how did that feel? Has it sunk in yet? Uh, it's not sunk in. It was a complete surprise. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to win. And it's an award as much for me personally as it is for pets at home. So. I'm grateful for all their help and support really but it still doesn't seem real and a huge surprise but i'm very grateful for it excellent and the award where where is it sitting is it pride of place on your mantelpiece it's um pride of place on my desk at work so yeah really happy with it excellent excellent and uh i suppose it's it's been just over a month since you've uh, gained that award Have, has there been any instant you know um difference and has it made a change in the way that you approach energy management it's probably got me 10 extra Twitter followers, so it has made a difference to my social media profile, which has been great. No, it's just been reinforcing the same. So I think at Pets at Home, we know we've got a responsibility to do the right thing for pets, people and the planet. And it's about developing a strategy to do that and to align it to what our customers expect us to do and keeping it really simple so we can engage our colleagues to do the right thing, which is what we normally do most of the time, really. So, yeah, just more of the same for us. Excellent. And um, now looking forward to the future, what's you know what's on the horizon for you? What's your main thing going on right now? Well, we've just completed a very big project, what we call Project Ether, where we've put LED lights into all stores with the BEMS as well. Mm. So it's kind of ironing out some tweaks to that in terms of the heating and cooling, but equally looking to complete the LED rollout into our in-store vet surgery. So that's the next big project. And then really looking at what kind of innovation comes out of the market. So I think like all retailers looking at the potential for batteries and solar PV to really make a difference. But then what we are looking at is an option to have a um, really simple yet targeted behavioural change programme looking at young millennials. So working on innovative apps and things and then things that young kids use all the time. So something called Snapchat I believe is quite popular. <laughs> passes me by then seeing how we can use that to drive behavioural change. Excellent, excellent. And uh, your energy management uh, project that you're working on, you mentioned the Ben system, is it is this being installed across all stores? Yeah, so we did the project Ether in every single store in under 12 months, so that was about 445 stores where we just hit it pretty hard and pretty quick to get the most savings. So it's on track next year, touch wood to save about 3.4 million, which is a pretty decent number and it's um, one that the business is quite grateful for. Excellent. Um, and finally, before I let you go, we obviously just uh, come out from the morning session of the Energy Management Conference. Um, did you have any particular favourite sessions, speakers? Uh, I think it's always very interesting to hear from the bigger users, so good to see Tesco's here and kind of collaborating on their part of it. 
Equally, I think it reinforces the view that collaboration and sharing is going to be a key concept moving forward for the next kind of one to two years. But doing that in a way that works for everybody, so not just for the big players, but trying to um, disseminate that information out to the smaller retailers, I think is a key challenge for the whole industry. Okay, James. Um, well, I know you're keen to shoot off, and um, I want to let you go before the beast from the east wrecks any more havoc uh, on uh, our uh, state of play. So I'll let you go. Thanks for the time, James. Thank you for having me. So, as I mentioned, uh, no time today um, for news or innovation roundups. And in fairness, it doesn't sound like this building is going to last much longer against the wind. So. Um, me and George want to retreat to safety. Um, we do still have a couple of big episodes in the pipeline. Uh, notably, I am venturing off to Cambridge soon to, to see how smart communities of the future are being built and lived in today. Um, just a reminder that these episodes can be listened to via the ED website. Just search Sustainable Business Covered Podcast or by searching for us on iTunes. Again, if you feel you have a story that would be of interest to us, please do send it our way. Uh, Leave a comment on the website or send an email to newsdesk at fab-house.com. But for now, it's a goodbye from George. Goodbye. And a goodbye from me. Goodbye.